Welcome here to our uh, morning service at Calvary Baptist Church of Tehran and also welcome to those uh, via with us uh, with us via internet and also APM here in town. Uh, please open your hymnal to number 202. 202. In times like this. 202. <clears throat> thankful that we can be reminded in this song of the importance of making sure that we have the right anchor and we're not hanging on to the world hang on to our own philosophies but that we're building upon the true rock the Lord Jesus Christ we're thankful that we can agree with the songwriter in verse 3 and we can say I'm very sure I pray for anyone that's listening today that cannot say that that they might see the importance of making sure of that today. We never are guaranteed tomorrow. We're not even guaranteed that we'll finish this day. 
but thy word tells us today if ye will hear his voice. And we know that that our true, the true God is speaking to us today and that we need to listen to thee and submit to thee and know thy peace and blessing. We pray for our country of Canada. We pray for our leaders as they are pagans. We pray, Father, for the salvation of many. Pray for boldness to be willing to speak the truth to them as we have opportunity in our own province as we have the run-up to the elections. And so far I have not seen one of the candidates yet. But we pray, Father, that if we do have opportunity that we might be able to help them to see what's really important for this province. We know that this election is in thy hands and uh, we just want to honor thee in our lives and serve thee faithfully. We pray for the situation in Ukraine and as uh, Zelensky was in Canada this week and was able to convince our politicians to give him more money which will not help. We pray, Father, that many in Ukraine would be saved. We pray for the Christians there, that they would be faithful to thee. Pray for the Christian Ukrainians in Canada, the Christian Russians in Canada, that they'd not be deceived, but they would live for thee and pray for their own fellow countrymen. <clears throat> and we pray for the Christians that are living in those countries, that they would be encouraged in thee and be a good testimony to their fellow countrymen as well. We continue to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, that many would be saved in that country. For Mr. Netanyahu, who has been traveling, pray for his safety. Pray also that he might see his need to be saved and realize that while Iran is a real enemy, there's a bigger enemy that's affecting him, and that's the devil, that he might see his need to repent and be saved, that he could give wise counsel to his people that they would see the importance of truth in their lives. So we thank thee, Father, that we have the opportunity of gathering together here. Thank thee that we have thy word, which is the truth. I pray that we would glorify thee in all that is said and done here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And over to 260. 260. Is my name written there? 260. <clears throat> I care not for riches, neither silver.
But the blood of my Savior is sufficient for me. For thy promise is written in bright letters that glow. Though your sins be as scarlet, I'll me gleam like snow. Is my name written there on the pits white and fair? In the book of thy kingdom, is my name written there? Triple city with its mansions of light, with its glorified beings in your garments of white. Where's the rebuilding's coming to this world? What is fair? Where the angels are watching? Yes, my name written there. Yes, my name's written there. On the pits white and fair. In the book of thy kingdom. Yes, my name's written there. Over to 450. 450. Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? Number 450. <clears throat> Winter story, story of the Savior, life's divine. Love had brought him from the realm of glory, just to save a sinful soul like mine. Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? Wonderful, wonderful, oh, isn't the love of Jesus something It was that found me. That is why my heart can truly say, Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? Wonderful, wonderful. Oh, isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? Wonderful it is to me. Beyond our human comprehending, but of God as well, can it be? This will be my theme and never ending, with redeeming love of Calvary. Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? Wonderful, wonderful. Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? Wonderful it is to me. Let's go, Pastor. 
Take your Bibles and turn to the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, chapter 14. We have a chart on the wall that we've been referring to from time to time that lays out what is given to us in the book of the Revelation. And it is the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's one revelation, not the book of the Revelations, as many people call it. It's one revelation that God gave to John. And it takes place partly on this earth, partly in heaven. And we are looking at a parenthetical passage as we look at chapter 14. And if you look on the chart later on, you will see that. Parenthetical in the sense that it fits in with what's going on, but it's added information that's not following along chronologically. So we're reading this after this morning from verse 14 through to the end of the chapter. Revelation 14, 14 to the end of the chapter, and we'll stand please for the reading of God's word. It says there in verse 14, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud... And upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap. For the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar which had power over fire and cried with a loud voice to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it into the great winepress, of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even unto the horse bridles, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful again that we have thy word. We're thankful again for the warnings that are given in the book of the Revelation of thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to humanity. And as we've mentioned before, every generation since the time of John has been able to read these words, able to study this book. Many have studied it as a fantastic book, as a mystical book, but few have taken it seriously and understood the dangerous thing, dangerous thought of rejecting the true God and thinking that everything will turn out all right. We thank thee, Father, that we have a loving God, a merciful God, a gracious God, who gives us these details 
to warn mankind, don't wait for this time. It's not a good time. So we pray this morning again as we begin this study, if there's someone listening today that is not saved, that they might see that there's nothing to gain by waiting, nothing to gain by putting off the truth and thinking that they have lots of time to figure it out and that everything will work out fine. Pray that they might realize the importance of turning to thee in repentance today and trusting in thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, alone for salvation today. Pray for those of us that are saved, that we would be mindful of the importance of warning others as we live in a time of apostasy, of great apostasy, where people are turning away and rejecting the truth more interested in themselves and in the comforts of this world than in knowing the true God. Help us to be willing to stand with thee and to glorify thee, to be able to help others to know the truth. So may thy will be accomplished as we look into these verses today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The title of the message this morning is The Battle of Armageddon is Near. The Battle of Armageddon is Near. This passage that we're looking at today deals with the Battle of Armageddon. So as John is giving us these words directed by God, what he is writing in his present time that he, when he wrote this, it was not happening yet. And it has not happened today yet. It is going to happen, but it has not happened. So John is even in the chronological order of some of the things we've looked at in the book of the Revelation. What he's looking at in this part that God is directing him in is something that is future to the chronological order of things. We'll see the fulfillment of it further on in the book of the Revelation. So as we look at our world today and we see things that are happening in our world today, it is important for us to also be able to see God's hand at work in what's going on in our world. We talked a little bit about that this morning in Sunday school. As we look at what has happened in our country this week with uh, the division that our prime minister has created with India and uh, how that is also playing into God's hand of how things are coming together. We know that the goal of man is a one world system where everybody unites. Our prime minister came back last week or early, well, I guess it was late last week because of his plane couldn't fly, which is a very good picture of our country. And uh, uh, he came back And then he came into Parliament, he came back from the G20, which was held in India, and he was snubbed there by the Indian Prime Minister. And so when he came back, he wanted to turn the attention away from his problems here and abroad, and decided to pick on India, because his friend is China. So as we look at what's going on, it's very interesting. It'll be very interesting to see how this plays itself out in the next uh, few days or weeks, however long it takes. 
But we know that God is bringing instability in the world's plan to be one. And uh, so that's something that God is doing, and he's doing that to give further opportunity for the gospel to be proclaimed and for people to be saved. One day the world will be one under the Antichrist. There will be a unity that he will bring about. It will not be good for the world, and it will be short-lived. It will be a seven-year period, and then the Lord Jesus Christ will be the king after that for a thousand years, and he will rule with a rod of iron, and there will be great opportunity for people to see what life should be like if they want to trust in him. We know that the Bible tells us most people will submit to him because they have no choice, but at the end of the millennium, they will rise up against him and he will destroy them. So as we look at things, it's very important to be reading your Bible, pay attention to what God says in his word. India is not found in the Bible Ukraine is not found in the Bible. Russia is found in the Bible. Ukraine was at one time a part of Russia. There's going to be an alliance there again in the future. And uh, uh, God is working these things out for his glory. And the important thing is to know the true God and to serve him and to help people to see the importance of turning to him today. So as we look at this passage, the first thing we want to see here is the time of reaping is at hand. And in chapter 14, and of course elsewhere in the book of Revelation and in the Bible, God uses angels as his messengers. God has many angels that are good angels. Angels in the Bible are always men. They're never women. But God uses angels at times to send a message to humanity. And in chapter 14, God is doing that. We said earlier on in the chapter, the Antichrist is going to declare himself as God at the midpoint of the tribulation. The two witnesses are going to have been killed by that time. The 144,000 are no longer on this earth. And there will be an out-and-out attack against anyone who names the name of Christ. Any true born-again Christian will be in severe danger in the last half of the tribulation, Jew or Gentile. And so it will be very difficult for anybody on this earth to stand up publicly and proclaim the gospel. But that's not going to be a problem for God because he's going to have an angel flying in the heavens with the everlasting gospel. So while the Antichrist is going to be trying desperately to shut down the truth, this message is going to be broadcast across the earth. This morning when we arrived here, I pulled a couple of weeds weeds on our sidewalk And I noticed that somewhere in this area, somebody had a radio playing or something playing, internet or whatever, and it wasn't godly music. And that's acceptable in our town. It's acceptable in our municipality. The world doesn't mind broadcasting its wickedness. And uh, that's something that I've considered that we should have some speakers outside of our building, not loud enough to be 
the broadcasting across the city, the town of, of Treherne, but at least when people walk by that they can hear what's going on here and they can be reminded of the importance of the truth. It's interesting for me as the pastor when I stand here and people walk by that sometimes they will cross the street and walk on the far side of the street until they get past the building and then they'll turn back in again. I don't know why they do that, but uh, I guess they're, they, they, can, they, they have an idea that there's something evil here, according to them, and they want to be as far away as they can. But it's too bad. They should be coming in and listening to the truth and being saved while there's opportunity. But God is going to make sure that humanity is going to be reminded of the truth right through till the end of this age. And that's because he's a loving and merciful God, not because he's trying to pester people. The truth is never something that's designed to pester anyone. It's not something that should be an interference. It's offensive to many people, but it's only offensive because they don't want to hear it. It's a blessing to those that will hear it and be saved and then walk with God. So God is going to use angels in the time of the tribulation to remind man. Now the sad thing is the Bible tells us that during the tribulation very few will be saved. Most people will buy the lie of the Antichrist. He will use lying signs and wonders to convince people that what he is saying is true. And there are many people today that are taking that same position. I received an email, I believe it was yesterday, from an evangelist in another country who, uh, there's another uh, person in that country from a different uh, religious background who is being accused of some crime, I can't remember what it is now, but, um, and so he's, asking for prayer that they would be protected as uh, the people in that country are not God-fearing people and if they lump all Christians in the same bag it could make it more difficult for them. So that's the world that we live in. We know that our prime minister said some years ago that one of his biggest problems in Canada is the evangelical community. He said that. Now, he doesn't know the difference between an evangelical and a frog, but anyway, that's what he said. But uh, we need to understand that the world does not appreciate the truth. And we have the truth, and we need to be willing to give the truth, regardless of whether people like it or not. So as we look at verse 14, it says, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man. Now, God has used clouds in the Bible several times to draw attention to himself. He used the cloud in the time when the nation of Israel, well, first of all, he used the cloud after the flood. There was a cloud in the sky, and the Bible says that God set his bow in the cloud in the sky, and he told Noah that that bow was there to remind man that God would never again send a worldwide flood. Every time we see the rainbow for Christians, that's a reminder to us that God will never again send a worldwide flood. Now the Sodomites have taken and corrupted the rainbow. Their their so-called rainbow does not have all the colors 
that God's rainbow has, and they are trying to use that as a symbol of their wickedness. But true Christians, we reject that symbol. We don't give any honor to that. But we do recognize God's rainbow in the sky, and we are reminded of God's promise that he will never again send a worldwide flood. He will destroy this earth one day, the heavens and the earth, with fire, a hot fire that will melt the elements. If you've had opportunity to see some of the after effects of the fires in Hawaii that recently took place, you may have seen some pictures of some of the vehicles and the rivers of aluminum that were flowing from the vehicles as the wheels burned or melted and some of the other aluminum parts on the vehicles melted and it shows a little little river of aluminum in the dirt. The fires in certain places there were very hot and uh, there are reasons for that which the media doesn't want us to know but it's evident that there was more going on there than just a regular fire. But the Bible tells us that God is going to send a fire one day that's going to melt the elements. And then there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. But the cloud also is used in the Bible at the time when Solomon built the temple. And when he dedicated that temple to God, the glory of God filled the temple in a cloud so that the priests could not stand to minister in the temple at that time. The Bible also tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ at the rapture is coming in a cloud in the sky. He's not going to set his feet on the earth, but all the saints, New Testament saints, will be raised up. The dead will be raised up, given their new bodies. Those that are alive at that time, their bodies will be changed, and together we will meet the Lord in the air, in the cloud that he's going to be in, and he'll take us up to heaven. And here, it it tells us here that the Son of Man is sitting on a white cloud. The angel is speaking of it. Well, actually, John sees it. John saw the cloud. And upon the cloud, one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Now, one of the things that the cults like to do is they like to dismiss Jesus Christ as the Son of God. They, they will accept him as a good teacher, maybe, but they will not accept him as the second person of the Godhead. But many times in the Bible, we are shown the fact that Jesus Christ is the second person of the Godhead. He has on his head here, and it's interesting that here one of the few times outside of the Gospels where Jesus is spoken of as the Son of Man. But he is the Son of Man. He's the Son of God, and he's also the Son of Man. And here, as the Son of Man, he has on his head a golden crown. Golden crown, a picture of his deity. The fact that he is the second person of the Godhead, and the Bible describes him as the king of kings. And he is going to rule this earth one day. He is the true God whom we need to know and serve. And if we are saved, he needs to be the Lord of our lives. 
<clears throat> but he is has this crown on his head, and in his hand he has a sharp sickle. Now, <clears throat> in the book of Joel, chapter 3, Joel chapter 3, and in verse 13 and 14, you read there Joel, a prophet in the Old Testament, and he writes there, Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come get you down, for the press is full, and the fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. So Joel there is writing about the same thing that John is seeing here and that he is writing of in this passage. And this son of man who is Jesus Christ is <clears throat> sitting on this cloud and he has a sharp sickle in his hand. Now we don't use the sickle today, but as a child I did use the sickle. We used it for harvesting corn. And the sickle is a, has a handle and then it has a, a, a seat, like a, a backward C shape to it. And it's very sharp. And you want it sharp. It's made like a hook pattern. And so when you are going into the crop, whether it's wheat or whatever crop it is, for us we use it for corn, and you go in there and as you swing that, it cuts off the corn stalk. And so you want it sharp. A corn stalk is about an inch, inch and a quarter in diameter. can be very hard. And if you have that sickle good and sharp, it does not take that much to slice it off. But if that sickle gets dull, then it becomes much more of a task. But here it tells us that the Son of Man has in his hand a sharp sickle. It is being going to be used as a tool of judgment upon wicked humanity. <clears throat> That's the purpose of it here in this passage. And as we read in this passage, at the time of the Battle of Armageddon, it will be a very bloody battle. We read this morning regarding the death of Jezebel. And that is not a very pretty scene that God gives us in the Old Testament of his judgment upon that woman. And it was a necessary judgment. God promised it would come. He prophesied it through Elijah. And Jehu was the king at the time when she was killed. And so it was necessary as a warning to the nation of Israel of the end result of wickedness. The end, of, the end result of rebellion against him. And here, John is told to write this before it happens as another warning of the judgment that is coming upon humanity. Now, many people, they like to think of Jesus as the one who would open his arms and invite the children to come and sit on his lap, and he would talk to them and how that Jesus would heal the sick, and he cared about the hungry, and so on. And people like to see Jesus in that light. But not many people want to think of Jesus as that judge, which the Bible tells us that he is, that will be the one who will sit on the great white throne and judge the wicked. He is also the judge that sits in heaven 
and will judge every true born again Christian when we come to heaven as to what our rewards will be or what our loss of rewards will be. He is the judge. And here he is preparing for the judgment of the wicked at the end of the tribulation. This is not the final judgment of man, but this is the judgment that is coming at the end of the tribulation. So the second point that we have is the time of reaping has come. So in verse 15 it says, And another angel came out of the temple. And so we talked about this before. If you go back to Revelation chapter 11, just by way of reminder, Revelation chapter 11, and in verse 19 it says there, And the temple of God was opened in heaven. And there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. When we look at our text here in chapter 14, this angel, verse 15, and another angel came out of the temple. That's not the Antichrist temple on this earth. That temple will not be blessed by God. The Antichrist is going to build a temple. The Jews are going to be excited about it. They're very excited now. They would love to see that temple built. I was listening to a man the other day who says that they have figured out that uh, they can build the temple on the Temple Mount without having to touch the Al-Asqa Mosque. And there is a little structure. uh, If you've been to Israel, you know that. There's a little structure off from the Al-Aqsa Mosque, and that's where some of the Jews assume that maybe that's where the temple was standing. And they say that under that little structure is a big rock. Now, if you've been to Israel, you know that in the Al-Aqsa Mosque, there's a big rock in there. And they claim that that is the rock that Muhammad stood upon when he ascended up to heaven, and they claim that his footprint is in that rock. Now, you can't touch that rock. They have a fence all around it, and there's guards in there, so you couldn't climb that fence. If you tried, they would get you out of there very quickly. But it's a big rock. It's big. And uh, I've seen it, but I haven't seen Muhammad's footprint in there. And it's not in there. But some of the Jews believe that that is the rock in that mosque where Abraham sacrificed or laid Isaac for sacrifice and then God provided the ram to take his place. But there are others who say, no, that rock can't be the rock. It's not the right shape and so on. They claim that the rock that's under this other little structure, which is really no bigger in size than an outhouse. It's just a very small structure that's there, but they say that there's a big rock underneath that, and they claim that's the rock where uh, Abraham laid his son Isaac. So we don't know. God knows. There are Jews in, in Israel that say there's no way that you can have the temple on the same mount as the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Well, we don't know what God is going to do there yet, but we know that the Antichrist is going to appease the Jews. He's going to build them a temple, and they're going to 
have their sacrifices going and so on, and he's going to allow for that in the first half of the tribulation. But then he's going to go into that temple and defile it, and he's going to declare himself to be God at the midpoint of the tribulation. Now, when we come to the book of Daniel, we're going to see that there was a man in history that also uh, declared himself to be God. He defiled the temple, and he declared himself to be God. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes. We're going to see that yet. But he was not the Antichrist, but he's a picture of what the Antichrist is going to do. <clears throat> but this temple here that the other this another angel is coming from is not that temple that the Antichrist is going to have on the earth. This is the temple that John wrote about in chapter 11. It's in heaven. And so this angel is coming out of the temple and he's crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud thrust in thy sickle and reap for the time is come for thee to reap for the harvest of the earth is ripe now we need to understand that this angel is not coming out of this temple and commanding Jesus to thrust in his sickle no angel has the authority to command the Son of God who created the angels as to what to do. But he's pleading with the Son of God to do what is needed to be done. The angels in heaven, they can see the wickedness that's going on on this earth today. They can see also when a person gets saved, they look upon the salvation that, that God affords to people they can't understand it. They can't be saved. If an angel sins against God, which one-third of them have done, they are cast out of heaven. They cannot be saved. But the good angels, they can see and they rejoice when a sinner gets saved. They don't understand it. But they also can see the wickedness that's going on in this earth, and they know that that's not right. They know that's not how God intended things to be on this earth. And so it's not just the saints that are in heaven that we're going to see and have seen already that are wondering when is God going to judge the world. But the angels, the good angels, the godly angels, they also, they understand that the wickedness on this earth has to come to an end. It cannot continue on. And that's something that is important for us as well to be mindful of those of us that are saved. I've mentioned it many times, we're dealing with it in our devotionals right now, as we look at God's design for salvation. And we see throughout the Bible that when God saves a person, he changes them. We don't become little gods, but we're changed. Our desires are different. We still sin after we're saved, but we cannot live in sin. And new evangelicalism has lied to us since 1948 and has said, you can be a Christian and you can live in sin. And of course, lost people love to hear that. I can go to heaven, but I can live for the devil here, but I'm going to go to heaven. And so you go to the modernistic churches of today and what do they tell you when you go to a funeral 
Yes, your loved one is up there in heaven. No more pain. He's dancing with his buddies. He's playing golf. He's doing whatever his favorite thing was. And it's all good. And the people in the pews, they love it because, oh, I'm going to go there too one day. It's all set for me. I'm glad that I can go there. It doesn't matter how I live now, but I'm going to go to heaven when I die. That's a lie from the devil. When God saves a person, he changes the person. Salvation, I've said it many times, is a miracle of God. It changes the heart of the individual that is saved. We're not without sin, but we're changed. And we have a longing for other people to be saved. We want to see people serving God and living for him. And it bothers us when we see wickedness abounding in our world. And when we see people who profess to be saved living for the devil, it bothers us. Just as it bothers these angels here in our text. And so this angel came out of the temple and with a loud voice. This is a message that needs to be heard. With a loud voice. To him that sat on the cloud, not because the Son of Man is getting hard of hearing because he's so old. It's a loud voice because it needs to be reverberated around the world. And so this angel is saying, thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. Now that phrase, the harvest of the earth is ripe, that phrase is talking about, as we see further on in this passage, God compares the people of the world as vine and vine, a vine and grapes. He's not just talking there about the nation of Israel, but he's talking about humanity there in reference to vines and grapes. Now in Israel, they would be very used to that analogy. They have vines in Israel, they have grapes in Israel. In Canada, there are places where we don't have vines, we don't have grapes. But a vine is something that grows along, doesn't grow like a tree, and the grapes hang off of that vine. And there's a certain time of the year when you need to go in and take those grapes off. And uh, I've worked in a vineyard, and when you go there, at least when I was working there, we had a little pair of snippers that you'd go along and you cut off the bunches of grapes, and you'd have a basket hanging off a belt on your waist, and you'd fill that basket, and then you'd put it on a tray, and you'd take another basket, and that's how you'd fill them and uh, for the farmer, and then they would come and pick them up and take them and process them. But here it talks about a sickle that is going to be used for this task. This angel says the harvest of the earth is ripe, and the word earth is ripe is talking about it's past its prime. It's not just that the grapes are in, in that best of shape now to be taken off. We're going to see that phrase again, but it's talking about it's past its prime. The grapes are starting to rot. They're starting to dry and wither. They're past the best time of their life. And so God is very long-suffering. That's what he's telling us here. He's very long-suffering with humanity. 
And as God has been long-suffering with humanity, people have taken advantage of that and said, well, maybe God's word isn't really true. Maybe it's not really going to happen as he says so. Maybe there's some room for maneuvering and so on. And every generation, it seems, becomes a little more wicked. For those of us that are older, I think we can see that, that from the time when I was a young person to what I'm seeing today, I've said it before, the, the church that my parents grew up in, the church that I attended as a boy, when I was a boy, that church, they preached salvation. They understood what salvation was. They preached against sin. But if you go to that church today, they haven't got a clue what salvation is. They are just clued right out. They don't know what sin is anymore. And so every generation has become a little more wicked and still calling it Christianity. And of course the people in there, the older people, well, we gotta we gotta go along with it because we're losing the young people, we've got to keep them coming and so on, and they don't understand that the only way to to have the young people coming for the right reason is if they get saved. We want the young people to come. But we're not going to pander to the world just to get the young people to come. What's the point? They might as well just go to the bar. If we're going to be a church, we want to help people to know the truth. We want them to glorify God, to know his peace in their hearts. And so by the time that this angel is talking here, things are worse than they are even in our time now. The earth is ripe. The time to deal with the wickedness of mankind. This harvest that it's talking about here is not a good harvest. It's not like what our farmers are taking off now where they're going out into the fields with their combines and taking off their crops. I've heard that because of the drought in some parts of our province this year that the, the weight of the kernels of grain are, is less than it should be. The wheat is smaller, shriveled up, the oats is not as good, and so on. The crop is not what it should be because it didn't get the rain when it was filling out. So there wasn't enough feed there for the plant to be able to produce that nice, plump kernel that is nice to have. Of course, for the farmer, the heavier the grain is, the more money he can make on it. But it's not a good crop this year, but still, there's a, good, there's a crop there. The farmers will be able to pay their bills. The price of grain is up. Farmers will be able to pay their bills. But this harvest that God is talking about here is a harvest that's coming because there's no more opportunity for anyone to be saved. When this harvest takes place, those that are saved will be saved. And the rest of humanity is so hardened in their wickedness, they're not interested. And God says, time is up. And this angel is the messenger here that God is using to encourage Jesus. It's time. In verse 16, it says, And he that sat on the cloud 
thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And as we read the account of the Battle of Armageddon, that is going to be one fierce battle. The wicked will all be there, and they will be fighting to the death. But Jesus Christ, as it says here, with his sickle, one sweep, and it will all be over. His robes will be splattered with blood, but he will have no injuries himself. The blood will be the blood of the wicked as he takes them out. It's not going to be a pretty picture. But the Bible gives us that picture to warn people. There are people that love to watch horror movies. They just love it. They're attracted to it. But yet, if you talk to them about anything in the Bible that's a judgment, oh, I don't want to hear that. The Bible is such a a cruel book, and who would want to read that book? But yet they'll go to a horror movie and watch that. The third thing that we see is that more angels and more judgment spoken of here. In verse 17, another angel came out of the temple. Which is in heaven. So here it tells us this, this temple is in heaven. He also having a sharp sickle. When I was young, my dad had a farm. There were seven of us children. Our farm was too small for all of us children to work on. My neighbor was a married man, but he had no children. So he came and talked to my dad and he said, Can I hire one of your boys? To come and work for me, I need some help. He was getting older. He had a lot of arthritis. And uh, my dad chose to send me over there to work for that neighbor. I enjoyed working for him. He was a good farmer. And he taught me that when you go out to hoe in the fields, you always have a file in your back pocket and you sharpen that hole and you keep it nice and sharp so that you can slide through the dirt easier and can cut off the plant under the ground and the roots, no plant there, the roots will die because there's nothing to feed the roots so it can continue on. And then when it came to taking off the corn with that sickle, again, we had a file in the back pocket and we kept that sickle sharp. And he didn't mind if I would stop to sharpen that sickle because he knew that if that sickle is sharp, it's not going to be so hard on me and I can work longer. If I get tired because I'm having to hammer with that sickle, I'm going to wear out sooner. So he taught me how to use that file and how to keep that sickle nice and sharp. Of course, you don't want to keep your, get your hand in the way then either because you could take your finger off. It was sharp. But it needed to be sharp. And so I learned how to use a sickle and how to take down the crop with that sickle. But here again it says in verse 17, Another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. These sickles are designed by God for a destructive work. They need to be sharp. 
Their slice needs to be accurate and swift and certain. And so it says in verse 18, And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. That phrase there again, fully ripe. Talking about that they're past their prime. Humanity is at that point going to be past its prime. They're not going to be glorifying God. There's no interest in glorifying God. There's no interest in knowing God. And so it's time to take them out. Time to destroy the wicked. Not the saved. The saved will not be involved in that battle. Jesus Christ is going to fight that battle by himself. He doesn't need our help. He's going to take care of that all by himself. The saved will be kept aside and prepared to enter into the millennium. But Jesus Christ will take care of the wicked. He will destroy them. Not one lost person will enter into the millennium. Not one saved person will enter into the tribulation. But not one lost person will enter into the millennium. There will be people that will get saved during the tribulation, but no saved person will enter the tribulation. And no person that has had the opportunity to hear the gospel in this time will get saved during the tribulation. Very sobering to understand that. There are many people and many generations that have read the book of the Revelation. Many people have heard messages on the book of the Revelation, but they never got saved. And many of them assumed, well, if I happen to live that long, I can get saved then. The Bible says differently. The Bible is the word of God. The wise person believes what God says. And so it tells us here that we've got these angels that are, that are giving this order. Thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth. For the, her grapes are fully ripe and the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. So you notice here in verse 18, it tells us, gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And then in verse 19, it says, the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth. So not just the grapes are going to be taken, but the vine. The entire wickedness of humanity up to that point is going to be taken out. As I mentioned, none of that will go into the millennium. So when the millennium starts, only righteousness will be there. Jesus Christ will rule and only saved people will enter 
the millennium. Now there will be people born in the time of the millennium. They will be born lost sinners just like anybody now is. By the time of the end of the millennium, there will be a large number of people that will rebel against God, against Jesus Christ, will join with Satan and try to destroy Jesus Christ, and they will meet their doom as well. But it tells us here that the sickle is going to be used not just to take the grapes, but the vine itself. That whole system, as we read in chapters uh, 18 and 19, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. It tells us that even in chapter 14 by prophetic means, uh, prior to um, the chronological order, it's still prophetic in chapters 18 and 19, but it's in the chronological order there. Babylon's going to fall, and here it talks as well about that, that entire system is going to be gone. So the wicked in the time of the millennium, they're not going to be influenced by some other wicked people. When Cain, when Cain chose to make his false offering to God, he couldn't point to anybody and say, that person, I followed what he did. Because there was nobody else. But Cain shows us the wicked nature of wicked people. And the same thing will be true in the millennium. There will be no one entering into the millennium that is wicked. And yet every child born in the millennium will be a lost sinner. And there will be people in the millennium that will try to practice their wickedness. The difference is that Jesus Christ is going to rule with a rod of iron and so those people will not be allowed to practice their wickedness. In their heart, they will still be wicked. But they will not be allowed to practice it. So, for instance, there would be no Catholic religion in the millennium. Doesn't mean there aren't people who want to worship like that, but they won't be influenced from somewhere else. It's just that's the wickedness of man. And so because of the wickedness of man, you know, we sometimes wonder, where did that person get that from? Well, that's just the nature of the wicked heart. And many times lost people are influenced to do wickedness. But you can try to isolate your child all you want. If you're not teaching them the truth, but you're isolating them, they're still going to be wicked. They're going to come up with with, uh, thoughts that are evil. And they're going to go out and practice those things. There's a case in Florida of a a woman. She was not married. She's dead now. But she was not married. And she decided to adopt, I think he, I can't remember what country now, some foreign country. She adopted a boy, four-year-old boy. Bad move. She's not a married woman. She shouldn't be adopting a boy, but she did. Anyway, she raised that boy until he was 17, and there was trouble along the way. But at 17, he went out to the garden shed and got an axe and sharpened it 
took it inside while his mother was sleeping and did away with her. At 17. Why would you do that? But that's the wickedness of man without God. And when there's no father there, there's no proper guidance there. She was probably not a godly woman. No proper guidance there. There's no foundation for that boy. And that's what you get. And the Bible makes it abundantly clear that if we do not live for God, if we don't have him as our foundation, as our truth, then it's wide open what could happen. Wide open. And so here, Jesus Christ is going to be judging the evil that's on this earth at the end of the tribulation. In verse 19, it tells us that the vine of the earth is cast into the great winepress of the wrath of God. The wrath of God. And in verse 20, it says, And the winepress was trodden without the city, and the blood came out of the winepress, even unto the horse bridles, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. That's how much blood there's going to be in that battle. Up to the horse's bridles. Now I think we've all seen a horse, and we know how tall a horse is. So you think about it, the horse's bridle. That bridle, the bit of that bridle goes into the mouth of the horse, not into the feet, in the mouth. And the bridle is around the head. The Bible says the blood is going to be that deep. That means there's a lot of people that are going to be slaughtered. We say, you might say, a person might say, how can God be so cruel? That's the wrong question. The question is, how can man be so wicked to reject the love of God over and over and over again and end up in that place? It's not God's fault. It's man's fault. Keep in mind that we have seen already that there were the two witnesses that prophesied and did miracles in Jerusalem. And the Antichrist will kill them. And the world will throw a party because they've gotten rid of these two witnesses. The 144,000 will be preaching the gospel. And they will be gone. People, some will have been saved. Many will have rejected what they've said. What they've had to say. So when this time comes that the angels are speaking of here and that John is writing of here, it's because of the wickedness of man, his continual rejection of the truth of God. That is what is going to bring this to pass. And those who will be at this judgment here have earned that judgment. <clears throat> they have rejected the, tru- the truth. <clears throat> and so even today, we are not in the time of the tribulation. There are people that believe that we are. 
but we're not. But even today, it is imperative that if you're hearing the word of God today, that you turn to God in repentance and be saved today if you're not saved. Don't put it off another day. You have nothing to gain by waiting another day. Nothing to gain, but everything to lose. Today is the day of salvation. This is the time to be saved. In the wine press, even when you go to Israel where they have wine presses, the grapes are put into there, and then they are trodden on. The grapes are smashed so that the juice will flow out of the grapes, and they catch the juice in containers. But you would never recognize those grapes by the time they're done with them because on purpose they are smashed to the point where there's no more juice left in them. They want the juice. And so when you're taking the juice out, there's no resemblance of that grape any longer. The color may be there, but other than that, you would never identify that as a grape. It's not the roundness of the grape or anything. But the juice has flown out. And here at this winepress that God is going to have set up, the winepress of the wrath of God, it's going to be a vicious battle. It tells us the vicious nature of the wicked. They're going to fight to the death. They're not going to give in. They're not going to surrender to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, being God, says, I'm sorry. But this is your end. There's nothing more left for you except torment. And this slaughter is not going to give these people the opportunity to escape the torment of the lake of fire because their souls are not going to be killed. And at the end of the millennium, their bodies will be raised up again. And they will stand at that judgment seat, their their great white throne judgment, and they will be judged by Jesus Christ and cast into the lake of fire. The books will be opened. Their works will be revealed. And they will be cast into the lake of fire. So the time of salvation is now. This is God's day of grace. He has provided for man to be able to be forgiven and to be saved. And as we've said before, the wise person listens to God, turns to him in repentance, trusts in the blood of Jesus Christ for salvation, and then begins to learn how to walk with God. That's a lifelong process. I'm still learning, but it's a worthy process. It's worthwhile. I wouldn't want to go back to where I was before I was saved. I'm thankful for God's salvation. And I trust that you are too if you're saved. But for anyone listening to me, either here or by live stream, if you're not saved, this is the time of salvation. Don't put it off any longer. Trust in the Lord and be saved today. And if you have any questions, we'd be happy to try to help you to answer them. But you are the one that needs to pray to God and be saved. Between you and God, to trust in him for your salvation.
Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we have thy word, thankful for this warning that is given here in this passage. Nothing to cheer about, but it's something that's going to be necessary because of the wickedness of mankind. And we're thankful that we live in this time of grace yet now where people can hear a message like this and they can respond and they can be saved. And so I pray for anyone that's listening that's not saved today that they might see the need to humble themselves, to turn to thee in repentance and ask for forgiveness through the blood of thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that they might be saved today. And begin to walk with thee in accordance with thy word. Know thy peace and blessing. And be able to help others to know the truth as well. We thank thee for thy mercy and grace. And we pray that many would turn to thee in these days of grace yet. And be forgiven and saved while there's that opportunity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.